Now, as we transition in this morning, I want you to think with me about a time in your life when you were asked or told to do something that you knew was wrong. Okay, so think for a moment. That might have been this morning. That might have been last night. Might have been 20 years ago. I'm not sure. But think about a time when you were asked or told to do something that was wrong. Could have been peer pressure that you were under. Could have been work pressure. It could have been a coworker. Could have been a boss or a supervisor who asked you to do something at work that was unethical and you weren't really confident in doing that. So just think for a moment about a time like that. When you're thinking about that, you'll probably also think about your response. Sometimes when we face that pressure, we give in. We give in and we do things that we later regret. Other times we stand up and and say, you know, I I don't really want to be involved in that. And even with decisions like that, sometimes we face consequences from the people who are trying to pressure us to do that. So here's an example from my life. It goes back to my college days. So when I was a freshman in college, uh, my family lived here just about an hour south from here outside of Orlando. And I went to college in Virginia. And that's where I met my beautiful wife. And uh, this year, we've been married 30 years. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing. <clears throat> so you need to congratulate her on surviving me for that long. So uh, I, I went to Virginia as a freshman there. I didn't know anybody at college. And there was this guy that my parents knew. So my parents were friends um, with some people when we lived in Pennsylvania. We're originally from Pennsylvania, and uh, we went to church with these folks. They had a son, just a little older than than my age, and he went to that college as well. So I didn't really know him, knew of him, but we didn't really know each other. Well, I went to school, and we met. And he said, hey, man, I'd love to invite you into our friend group. And I thought that was great because, again, I didn't know anybody, didn't have any friends at that time. And then later, he started telling me all the the ways that he could help me get around all the rules at school. And and the stuff he was talking about, I mean, it sounded fun, you know, because I don't love rules all the time. And some of those things that he was talking about sounded great. And I thought, man, it's awesome to have a friend group like that. Um, Maybe not like that, just a friend group. And I had to choose, you know, was I going to make that my friend group? and whatever else that they were going to be involved in, or was I going to say no to that? So as I processed that, I got to the conclusion like, you know, I'm not so sure that's the way I want to start my college career. So I told my friend, or new friend, I said, "Um, thanks, but no thanks. Like, I think I'll figure it out on my own. Thanks for the invitation to your friend group. Thanks for the invitation to do a bunch of things that are wrong that I'll probably get in trouble for. I didn't say that. Um, But I said, thanks, but no thanks. After that, whenever he would see me around campus, uh, he would kind of you know, look at me a little demeaningly and uh, you know, made fun of me often. And you know, that wasn't all that fun. But I, I chose not to have that friend group at that time and develop my own friend group uh, as, as I was growing in my college career. So later that year, I found out that this guy got kicked out of school for some of the decisions that he was making. And I thought... I am so glad in that moment, God gave me wisdom to choose not to to do what this guy was wanting me to do. Now, I've made a lot of decisions in my life when I have done things that my friends have asked me to do that weren't right. I have done things that I wanted to do that weren't right. I've pressured other people to do things that I knew wasn't right, but I was grateful in that moment that I chose 
wisely and didn't have to face those long-term consequences. Now, I tell you that because today we're in part three of our series called Thrive, and today we're going to learn from three guys in the Old Testament part of the Bible who were asked to do something that was wrong. They weren't just asked, they were commanded to do something that was wrong. Everybody else in their culture was doing it, and if they didn't, there were severe consequences. It wasn't that they would lose a friend group or that they might be made fun of. It wasn't that. It was very severe if they chose not to do it. So today we're going to learn what they were asked to do, what they decided, and the consequences that they faced. If you're new with us, our Thrive series is a study of the Old Testament book of Daniel. And if you're not familiar with Daniel, he lived about 2,500 years ago. And he lived originally in Israel. And his kingdom, the the kingdom of Judah, was taken captive by the Babylonians. And so they moved to Babylon, and they were forced to live under new rules, new customs, new laws, and worship new gods. And the king of Babylon at that time was King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a ruthless king. And the Babylonians would engage all kinds of evil practices in worship of their gods. And specifically, their primary god was called Marduk. So imagine the concerns that Daniel would have coming from a nation that only worshiped the one true God of heaven going into that kind of culture. Like imagine the concerns that that they would have as they face those uh, new things in that culture and being forced and asked to do things that they were not comfortable with, with and they knew were wrong. So let me shift gears here real quick. Anybody concerned about living in the United States right now? Okay, a few people are concerned about that. Our nation, which was built on biblical principles, is stepping farther and farther away from that foundation. As we do that, we're looking more and more like the Babylonian culture. We're losing a sense of morality, unity, decency, and humanity. And it seems like our nation is falling apart and falling apart fast. As our nation does that, many of us have concerns. So it's not just people who are Christ followers that have concerns. Many people have concerns. Men, women, young, old, people of faith, people that say they don't have faith. Again, you don't have to be a Christ follower to have concerns about the condition of our nation today. Now, it's hard for us to imagine this, but in Daniel's situation, he learned to thrive in that environment. I mean, imagine being forced to live in another culture being forced to, in some context, worship other gods. And if you didn't, there were severe consequences. And imagine being able to thrive, not just survive that experience, but thrive. So Daniel, he thrived so much, he was promoted to high-level positions in four different pagan kingdoms over a 70-year time frame. That's amazing to me. What, what Daniel was able to achieve through God's help. And it wasn't because he, can, he compromised his convictions. He was faithful to God through that whole experience. And so we're trying to learn how he did that so we can learn how to do that today. Now, in this series, we're trying to answer one question. That question is this. How can we thrive in a world that's falling apart? How can we thrive? You know, you would think about a relationship with God. God doesn't want us just to survive. You know, like I've said several times in this series so far, Jesus didn't come and die so we can just hang on and survive our culture. He didn't come for that. He came so we could thrive. He said he came to give us life in all of its abundance. And so we need to learn how to do that. And of course, we define uh, thriving very differently than God does. But, but we need to learn how to thrive in the way that God wants us to thrive. 
So here's some things that we've learned so far in this series. First thing that we've learned in week number one, we learned that we can thrive by deciding in advance how we will live. We watched Daniel do that. Before he got into that Babylonian culture, he decided, you know what? I'm gonna serve God no matter what. No matter what this culture throws at me, I'm gonna stay true to my relationship with God. And he did, and God rewarded him for that. Then in week two, we saw that we can thrive by staying focused on the mission that God has given us. So Daniel, in that culture, he didn't get distracted by all the crazy pagan things that were happening in the culture. He didn't start protesting all that stuff. He stayed laser focused on the mission of leading King Nebuchadnezzar to God. And he was able to see the day that King Nebuchadnezzar praised the one true God of heaven. Why? Because he stayed focused on the mission of leading King Nebuchadnezzar to God. So those are some ways that we can thrive. And um, last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4. And today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, if you want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app. And uh, today's story falls like right in the middle of last week's story. So like I told you last week, and I'll, I'll tell you again today, like, don't get lost. Like, if you're you know, following this story chronologically, don't get lost today, because in, in Daniel chapter 2, we learned about the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. He had a dream about this big statue, and a rock came and knocked that statue over, and the wind blew all the parts of the statue away, except the rock remained. And Daniel explained to King Nebuchadnezzar that that rock was God's kingdom, and it's the only kingdom that will last forever. And then in Daniel chapter four, we saw Daniel, or, yeah, King, Daniel interpreting for King Nebuchadnezzar a dream that he had about a tree and that a messenger of God came down and, and said, cut down this tree and it was left as a stump. And then the dream turned from a stump to a man who was turned into like a wild animal who lived that way for seven years. And Daniel explained, like, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to be you if you don't humble your heart before God. Well, that's what happened to him. He didn't humble his heart before God. He lived like a wild animal for seven years until he recognized that there is only one true God in heaven. So the story we're looking at today happens right between that. So keep that in context as we learn about this. Today's story is about Daniel's three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's how Daniel chapter three starts. So King Nebuchadnezzar forgot about the meaning of the dream that he had about the statue, like forgot about that. And when he heard about it, he was petrified. Daniel explained it, time went past, he like forgot about all that. And so he made a statue of himself, this pure gold statue was 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. He was so impressed by it. And he wanted his whole kingdom to worship his statue. So he set it up in his kingdom. He invited all of the officials of his kingdom together to a dedication ceremony. And all of his officials, so imagine if you're the officials, okay? So you're the officials at this ceremony and you see this statue and you're told at this ceremony that when King Nebuchadnezzar's worship team starts playing worship music to King Nebuchadnezzar, you're supposed to bow down and worship this statue. Oh, and if you don't, you'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. There's a whole lot of ways to die in the world. That's not one that I would just naturally choose. Like, I'm not thinking that's a fun one. So the king's worship team started playing. Everyone bowed down to worship the king's statue except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
When the king found out, he flew into a rage. He had them brought to him. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance, just one more chance. When the music starts playing, you bow down and worship me. And he basically said to them, there is no other God who can protect you. Like no God can protect you from me and my power. He thought he was a God. So he was challenging them and the God that they worship. Now, we'll get back to their response in just a minute, but I want to pull ourselves into this and how this applies to us today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living again in that pagan culture, and they were uh, being asked to worship many different gods. Uh, The Babylonians worshiped the main god Marduk, like I've already said, the god of power, creation, and fertility. They also worshiped a god called Ishtar, the god of love and sexuality. They worshiped the god Nabu, the god of writing and literature, and then they worshiped King Nebuchadnezzar, again, who he thought was a god. Now, I know this is crazy. It's really hard for us to imagine that anyone would worship things like power, pleasure, education, or ourselves, right? Like, we could never imagine anybody doing that. Like, like really, they did that? Obviously, you can tell I'm being sarcastic because we do that today all the time. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't worship those things. They only worshiped the one true God, and they were being told to violate their faith. So it was a command for them. It was a law for them. Today, we are being told to accept things, believe things, and do things that violate many of our belief systems. And even if you aren't a Christ follower, you are being told to accept, believe, and do things that violate your belief system. It may not be a faith system in God, but you have a belief system as well. Again, our nation has lost much of its common sense when it comes to morality, justice, and how we treat people who don't think like us. So here's some examples. Today, we're being told to accept the idea that people can live any way they want without any consequences for themselves or our society. That's just not true. Today, we're being told to believe that everyone has the right to live their own truth because truth doesn't apply to everyone. And I think I can't go a week without hearing this idea that everybody can live their own truth. Anybody ever heard that statement, like live your own truth? Like that is so not true. You can live your own opinion, you can live your own thoughts, you can live the way that you wanna live, but you can't live your own truth because truth applies to all of us. So we're being told to believe that we can live our own truth. We're being told that if we don't get what we want in life, we should live like victims, and we should take revenge against people who are holding us back, and violence is acceptable in that context. That's what we're being told to do. We're being told to accept, believe, and do all kinds of things that go against our belief system as Christ followers, if you're a Christ follower, and just good common sense beliefs. As that happens, we have to choose how we are gonna respond to those demands. We can bow down, we can accept, believe, and do the things that we're being told to do. A lot of people are doing that. We can aggressively fight against those things that we are being told to do, or we can respond like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel 3.16, they responded to King Nebuchadnezzar's demands. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. So again, remember, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was a God. 
So our three amigos are telling this guy who thinks he's a god, the, the guy that has all the power that can execute them in this moment, they're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, like, you're not a god. And even the gods that you worship, they're not as powerful as our god. And then they continue, verse 18, and they said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't rescue us from your furnace, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they responded with grace and truth. They didn't yell at the king. They didn't protest the statue. They didn't trash him on social media. They just spoke with grace and truth and lived that out. Today, we struggle with grace and truth. We really do. Often we go from one extreme to the other. Uh, there are some of us that go to the, the extreme of what we would call grace. And we, we say, you know what, I think we're supposed to accept everything our culture is throwing at us because that, like, that may be the only way to love people. And when we think that way, we're defining love the wrong way. We don't have a real concept of what love really means and the love that God asks us to, to live out, the love that God brought for us. And so some of us go to the extreme of, of grace. Others of us go to the extreme of truth, hard truth. And we attack those who disagree with our faith system. And Jesus didn't do either of those. You know, when you watch Jesus walk planet Earth, Scripture says that he balanced grace and truth perfectly. Perfectly. He didn't go to one extreme or the other. He balanced grace and truth perfectly. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They spoke truth in love because they understood something that would be written hundreds of years after their lifetime. They understood what the Apostle Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says this, he says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they understood that their battle was not with people. They understood that. They were crystal clear about that. And we need to remember that our battle is not with people, even though it may feel like it is with people when someone standing in front of us is asking us or telling us to do something that violates our belief system. It may feel like our battle is with them, but it isn't. The Apostle Paul told us who our battle's with. He said, our battle is with the devil and his forces. I don't know what you believe about the devil. He's a real being. Jesus believed in him. Not only did Jesus believe in him, but he created him. He didn't create him as the devil. He created him as Lucifer. Lucifer was the angel of light, a beautiful angel. And that angel did not like his position in God's kingdom. He said, I, I want to set my throne above God's throne. He wanted God's power. And God said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. He gave him a demotion and a name change. His name was changed to Satan, which means adversary. 
And our adversary is the adversary that every human has ever faced. Satan hates everyone. He hates those who worship God. He hates those who worship him. He doesn't have love in his heart. He's filled with hate. And his mission is to deceive people. There's a lot of deceived people in the world right now. So when you're interacting with someone who's deceived, they're not the enemy. They're not the people that we're fighting against. They're deceived. So what should we do when there's somebody in front of us that we should love and they're deceived? We should love them and do our best to help them understand the truth. Again, they're being deceived by Satan, but those people are the people that Jesus died for and the people that God wants us to demonstrate love to. They're not the enemy. Again, our three amigos understood that about King Nebuchadnezzar. They knew he wasn't the enemy, even though he felt like it, especially when he flew into a rage at their response. And he ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than normal. The guards that tied these three amigos up and threw them into the furnace, they all died just throwing them into the furnace. The furnace was so hot. But then after they were thrown into the furnace, Daniel 3.24 says, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and explained to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did. They replied, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a God. Now, most Bible scholars believe that this is a Christophany that this fourth person in the fire is Jesus before we know him as Jesus in the New Testament part of the Bible. Now, if that's true, which I believe that is true, we need to remind ourselves where Jesus is in our fires that we face. Where is Jesus when we face fires in life? He's in the fire with us. He's in the fire with us. That's worth celebrating for sure. That was a nice golf clap right there. <laughs> Maybe you'll clap a little bit later, a little bit more excited. Jesus is always in the fires that we face, always. Matthew 28, we get a promise from Jesus. He says, I'm with you always, no matter where you go, even to the end of the age, to the end of your life, I'm, I'm always with you. There's never a spot that we can go that Jesus isn't with us. Never a spot, never a situation that we can face that Jesus isn't right there with us to guide us through that. In uh, Joshua 1.9, God says to us, as well as to Joshua, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There is nothing that you can face that God is not with you. There's no job situation there's no home situation. There's no school situation. There's no uh, political situation out in our world today that you can walk through and God is not with you every step of the way. And sometimes when we walk through those things, we can come out on the other side unharmed, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't harmed in that experience. Then sometimes we can, can walk through those difficult moments and come out unharmed. But other times, the fires do touch us. We do experience the pain of that situation and persecution. We may lose a job. We may lose friends. Our marriage may fail. Our reputation may be smeared. 
But that doesn't mean that God isn't with us. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't love us because the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 35, and he asked this, he says, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? You know, that's an idea that many people have today is if we go through difficult times, God must be upset with us or God must not be with us. Maybe we did something wrong and God is punishing us for that. We have that weird idea, but that is not true. There are moments that God comes along and disciplines us, but God disciplines us out of love. And just because we're going through a difficult thing, that doesn't mean that God is disciplining us. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that God has removed himself from us. Verse 37 says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory is ours, no matter what we face. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that. And that's why they were able to say to King Nebuchadnezzar, hey, King, your majesty, even if God doesn't save us now, like we're never gonna bow down and worship your gods. It's just not possible. Like We're just not gonna do that. With all respect, King, we're not gonna worship your gods. It doesn't matter what you do to us. It doesn't matter what you say about us. Uh, we know that our God can rescue us in this moment or he can rescue us into eternity and either way, we win. Either way, because we're with him. So I don't know what you're going through right now, but I wanna remind you that God is with you. And that's whether you're a Christ follower or not. You might say, well, I'm not a Christ follower. What do you mean, God's with me? Yes, he's with you. Why? Because he loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's doing everything he can to draw you into that relationship. So whether you're a Christ follower or not, God is with you no matter what you're walking through, no matter what health issue you're walking through, no matter what relationship issue you're walking through, work issue you're walking through, financial issue you're walking through, God is with you because he loves you. And I think some people need to be reminded of that today. And you might need to be reminded of that because you maybe have forgotten. Maybe you think that, that God's so mad at you because of how you've lived or something you've chosen to do. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He's with you, no matter what you're going through. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't believe what he saw in that moment when he looked into the furnace. So he brought them out of the furnace and he found that the fire hadn't affected them at all. They weren't burnt. They didn't even smell like smoke. Imagine that. Anybody ever stood over a campfire before? You smell like smoke, don't you? They came out of the furnace, heated up seven times hotter than normal, and they didn't even smell like smoke. And then listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 3.28 said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So our three amigos who said, king, we're not going to bow down and worship your gods. They got promoted after that. Everybody else in the kingdom bowed down to worship. These three guys said, no, we're not doing that. And they got promoted. How did they get promoted? 
because they stayed true to their convictions in God and their faith in him. They thrived by speaking truth in love and living the truth that they spoke. Now, if we're gonna thrive in our chaotic world, we've gotta learn to do the same thing. If we're gonna do that though, if we're gonna speak truth, if we're gonna live truth, we need to know truth. Jesus said in John 14, six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So the more we know Jesus, the more we know truth. And for some of you, you know Jesus pretty well. And maybe for you, the challenge for you today is to live the truth that you know. Out in our crazy culture, where you might face consequences for making some of those choices, for speaking truth in a moment when somebody's asking you to do something or telling you to do something that's not right, that you know is not right. You might face some, some consequences for, for standing up and speaking that truth. It's possible, but maybe that's the challenge for you. Maybe, maybe you know enough, you just need to speak that truth and live the truth that you are speaking. But for others, maybe you don't know God's truth at all, or maybe you don't know it well enough. And, and maybe you need to, to, to learn that. If that's you in that spot and you don't know God's truth enough, what I recommend is you take our 40 days in the word growth group that Jake talked about in the announcements. It's a great opportunity for you to understand how the Bible was put to, together and how to use the Bible to learn how God expects his followers to live. So I highly recommend that you sign up for that and start taking that. Another growth group that you can take that started today is our starting point growth group. So that's happening right now in the first service. And you can still sign up for that today. Just go to our groups table after our service and sign up for that. You've missed one week, but you can catch up this week and you can still enjoy a whole lot of that experience. It's an eight-week conversational environment where you're heal, you'll hear the overarching story of God found in the Bible and how he wants us to live. So if you need to learn more truth so that you can speak that and live that out, then I highly recommend that you get active in those two growth opportunities. So here's a closing question for all of us. What truth do you need to speak in love this week? And who might you need to speak that to? Who around you needs to hear and see God's truth lived out in front of them? The crazy thing is, is if you share and, and live God's truth, maybe the person you're speaking to just might respond like King Nebuchadnezzar. Just might respond that way. And your conversation, your response might be the thing that God uses to help that person take a step towards or with him. And again, last week we saw King Nebuchadnezzar not only praise God, but after this event, he bowed down and worshiped God. He worshiped the one true God of heaven. And there's some debate about whether he worshiped that God for the rest of his life. I tend to believe that he did. I tend to believe that he did. After a seven-year experience when he lived like a wild animal and God gave him his sanity back to remind him, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I've blessed you with all this. Life is not about you, king. It's about me. And until you remember that, you're gonna live like a wild animal. So I tend to believe that Nebuchadnezzar remembered that for a long time in his life. So as you live that out in front of other people, maybe those people will respond. But there's also a chance that when you speak truth, truth and love, you'll get persecuted. You'll face a fire experience. You might get fired 
You might lose friends. You might be made fun of. Or something worse might happen. But think about this for all of eternity. Will any of that matter when you stand before your God in eternity? None of it will matter. I think we'll be in eternity for one second and forget about all the suffering that we faced on this earth. None of that will matter. And anything that we face for Christ that's a persecution type of, of reality, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. Jesus told us, for my followers, you're gonna face persecution. We shouldn't be surprised when it comes. We shouldn't be shocked. He told us, you're gonna face it. But when you face it, remember, I'm there with you. I'm walking through everything that you're gonna walk through. Everything that you're gonna face, you can't face anything that I'm not right there with you. No matter what it is, I'm there. So don't worry about the persecution. Stay focused on who you worship and serve. And as you do that, I'll teach you how to thrive. And again, God defines thriving differently than we do. But I think he wants us to learn how to thrive in our world that feels like it's falling apart. So who do you need to speak truth in love to this week? I challenge you to do that. As we close, our worship team is gonna sing a song called Firm Foundation. It's a great song that reminds us that the foundation of our life needs to be Jesus. Needs to be Jesus. And as we sing this, I, I, I encourage you to remind yourself that it really is possible to thrive in our chaotic world when we do these things. When we decide in advance how we will live for God. When we stay focused on the mission of leading people to Jesus. We don't get distracted by other missions. And when we speak truth in love and live the truth that we're speaking. We really can thrive in a world that's falling apart when we do these things. So if you would, stand with me. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing about Jesus being our firm foundation. So let's pray together. Well, it's so amazing to read stories that have been captured for us that happened 2,500 years ago that feel like their stories happening today. Back then, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to accept, believe, and do things that didn't honor you. Today, we're being told the same things. Some of us go to the extreme of accepting those things because we're not sure what to do with it. We feel so uncomfortable. Others of us go to the extreme of aggressively attacking our world around us that's asking us to do those, those things. And we need to, to respond more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who just confidently stood before the king and said, your majesty, no matter what you ask us to do, we're not gonna worship your God because we serve the one true God of heaven. So when I pray that we would have that perspective Lord, that we would learn to balance grace and truth the way that you, Jesus, balance grace and truth. And Lord, as we do that, we might face persecution. We might come through that experience unharmed. We might actually get promoted out of that. Not, not sure how we will go through that experience, but we need to remind ourselves that you are with us every step of the way. So Lord, our foundation needs to be in you, not in us, not in what we think the right strategy is, but in you and your strategy for loving the world. So Lord, teach us how to thrive. 
in a world that feels like it's falling apart. In Jesus' name, amen.